Well, there's a lot of ways we can interact with God's Word as we read it. And sometimes that is how we're reading the Word and how we react to it. And sometimes that's just based on the content of the Scripture. And so if we look at this Scripture of Ruth here, we're going to look through in a chapter. It's interesting because there's not a lot of direct commands for us. There's not a lot of triumphant proclamations about God that we can just take as meat and look at. Really what we're looking at is more in the realm of examples, looking at examples of people that lived out character. And so as we read this morning and we look through the chapter, we're going to have three main players here of, of Ruth and Naomi. Like we talked about last week and enter Boaz, another character in the story here. And so as we look at the word, just think about more in terms of examples and how these people are living out God's word about how they're living in character and about how we might be able to emulate that or just take from their example and apply it to our own lives here this morning. So we're going to read through the chapter here to start, but just to frame the word a little bit as you read through it. So we're in Ruth 2 here. It says, Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Now go out into the harvest fields to... Now let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, All right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Then Boaz asked his foreman, Who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, She is the young woman from Moab who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She has been hard at work ever since except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, stay right here with us while you gather your grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the fields they are harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water that they have drawn from the well. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I am only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and your mother of your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. I hope I continue to please you, sir, she replied. You have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I am not one of your workers. At mealtime, Boaz called to her, Come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in the sour wine. So she sat with his harvesters, and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. She ate all she wanted and still had some left over. When Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her, and pull her out some heads of barley from the bundles and drop 
them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. So Ruth gathered barley there all day. And when she beat out the grain that evening, it filled an entire basket. She carried it back into town and showed it to her mother-in-law. Ruth also gave her the roasted grain that was left over from her meal. Where did you gather all this grain today? Naomi asked. Where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in whose field she had worked. She said, the man I worked with today is named Boaz. May the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He is showing kindness to us as well as your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Then Ruth said, what's more, Boaz even told me to come back and stay with his harvesters until the entire harvest is completed. Good, Naomi exclaimed. Do as he has said, my daughter. Stay with his young women right through the whole harvest. You might be harassed in other fields, but you will be safe with him. So Ruth worked alongside the women in Boaz's field and gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest. Then she continued working with them through the wheat harvest in early summer. And all the while, she lived with her mother-in-law. All right. Since Naomi was the main character in chapter 1 as we looked at that, it does shift a little bit. But we'll recap a little bit how we got here from last week. If you remember, Naomi's husband dies. And she had brought with them two sons into the land of Moab. And both her sons died. And she's left with her two daughter-in-laws. Her sons had married foreign women in the land of Moab, which was somewhat frowned upon in that time. The law would have said to take a woman in their land. And so they had left due to famine and gone to Moab. They'd been away for at least 10 years based on some of the dates in chapter 1. And in that time, her husband had died, like I said, and so now she's alone with her two daughter-in-laws, and they come back. And on the way, she releases her daughter-in-laws, and she says, you can both go. I'm too old to marry again and raise sons who you could marry at another time. Go on your own way. And so her other daughter-in-law goes back to Moab and goes on her own way. But Ruth declares her loyalty and goes with her mother-in-law back to the land of Bethlehem. And so Naomi and Ruth entered town, right into Bethlehem, right at the end of the first chapter. And it's of note that she's a foreigner. She comes back in, she's a woman from Moab, she's a foreigner coming back into the land of Israel, into Bethlehem. And at this point, presumably they're somewhat destitute. They don't have much in terms of money. They've lost their husband. It's not really, really far, but it does take a couple, probably two to three weeks to travel back from Moab, back to Bethlehem. So it was a decent amount of travel without men to protect them. It was probably risky. You had to cross over the Jordan River to get back there. And right at the end of the chapter one, Naomi declares, I went away full and I came back empty. I went away with a full family, coming from the people of God, being in fellowship, optimism of life ahead. And as she's coming back into town, she feels empty in life. And we couldn't really blame her, having her husbands and her sons stripped away from her. 
And likely there was a shortage of food now in Moab that she mentions that there was food in Bethlehem, that the crops had done better, and that they were returning. But Naomi realizes that her life had taken a significant turn when her family had left the people of God, when they'd left Bethlehem and they'd gone out to Moab. And in her head, she had a clear picture of what it meant to go return to the people of God, to go back to her country, to go back to her people, maybe even to go back to God. And it states at the end of Ruth 1, we didn't read it at the start there, but the people were somewhat shocked to see her again. It had been a long time. Like I said, it was over 10 years, and they see her enter into town. And it mentions that they're saying, is that really Naomi coming back? I remember her, but it's been some time. She likely looked a little different than when she left town, of having life move on from when they left. Worn by time, sorrow, travel, possibly even hunger based on famines at times. I think the example of Naomi, one thing to pull out, is that when she was far away, she humbled herself to return to God, come back to her people. Like I said, the scripture reads that she traveled to a different country, but just considering the position she would be in to walk back into the people of God, she had to expect that there'd be murmurs. They'd gone out to live among the foreigners. They'd given their sons to marry the Moabite women and even to bring one of them back with her. It doesn't say it in the scriptures, but I almost wonder if that's one of the reasons she tried to release her daughter-in-laws was not to come back in with foreigners into Bethlehem because it might have highlighted some of the way they lived their life over the last 10 years. And I think about that journey, and it might seem just a few weeks travel, but it was probably a big step to walk back to Bethlehem and go in that day. And I think about our lives, and I think sometimes it might not be a a big journey, like a few weeks in that time might not have been a big one, but sometimes it's a long way to go. Maybe it's returning to church. Maybe it's reading the scriptures again. Maybe it's confessing sin. Maybe it's giving up the nightlife. God calls us back again and again, and we have an example of what it looks like to go back to God and his people. Naomi swallowed her pride a little bit and walked back into town. I think of us being within blocks of bars right now. We can be two, three blocks away from a bar, but the distance between going to a bar on Saturday night and church on Sunday morning is more than three blocks, isn't it? There's something in our heart It has to be different to be coming back to God and returning. I think a second thing to pull out from Naomi, Greg covered last week, so I'll just talk about it quickly. But it's that she was smiling at the future. Greg mentioned last week that she mentions right at the end of chapter 1 as she's coming back into Bethlehem that she did go away full. That she did go away with a different life with her husband and her sons. And she felt like she was coming back empty. And I can only imagine spiritually, physically, emotionally, economically, her feeling like she was coming back empty in life. What Greg mentioned at the end of the time is, as you read that statement and then look ahead to chapter 2, she doesn't go on moping at life or complaining to God the rest of her life, does she? She smiles at the future. Proverbs 31, 
We're going to read about this um, just in parallel to this chapter because I think Naomi and Ruth are such good examples of what a Proverbs 31 woman should be like. But I thought of this verse, Proverbs 31.25. It says, Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. A righteous woman believes that God has good ahead of her. Proverbs says, They smile at the days ahead, even in the midst of challenges, even in the midst of things that could be bitter in life. Naomi was quick to bless others. She was quick to turn her heart. She sent her daughter-in-law out in what could have been danger, not having a man with them, but she happily sent her out believing in God's protection, believing in God's provision, and believing that God had a future ahead of them with God's people. And I just thought of that example. When it looks bleak, when the situation's bad, what is our viewpoint on the future? Looking at that situation, I think a normal reaction would have been just to be really bitter, to be empty, to be angry at God. So much taken from her, so much loss. But what an example of trusting God through it and always smiling at the future and believing in Him. That's a couple things to pull out from Naomi, but the chapter shifts a bit, doesn't it? And we talk more about Ruth and how she relates with Boaz in this chapter, so we'll spend a little more time on them. But again, to put context at the beginning of this chapter, Naomi and Ruth have traveled far without protection and come back. They're likely hungry. They don't have land or fields or servants or wealth that we know of to speak of as they come back into town. And so Ruth, in uh, verse 2 here, she goes to Naomi and says, Let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up stocks of grain left behind anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. And that can seem a little out of our custom or a little out of left field to say she wants to go out and gather grain behind the harvesters. It can sound a little bit today like, let me go up to the ATM machine and see if anyone left a dollar in or see if anyone left a change at the grocery store in one of those auto pay things. They don't realize the change comes out. But it's not. There's a little context with this that I think is worth diving into. Leviticus 19 9 and 10, it says, When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. It is the same with your grape crop. Do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines and do not pick up the grapes that fall to the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord, your God. So long before we had that government welfare and that's how we took care of people, God wrote into the Jewish law specifically a way that they would care for people among them, that they would harvest in a way that they wouldn't take everything in the field, but they would leave some along the edges. This meant that they could take most of the field and they have enough to supply their own needs and their own wealth, their own crop and food, but there would also be a bit left for the poor, for the foreigners, or for the widows in this case. So Ruth applied faith in setting out to work in the fields behind the harvesters. Trusting God's provision and the method in which he said he would care for the foreigners and widows among his people. That she could go out in the fields and be satisfied harvesting behind there. 
And I saw this as just a great example of following God's instructions about how to act in times of need. She trusted that God would provide for her and Naomi by just following the scriptures and what God said he would provide through his people. And not only that, she took action with it. She had to go out and work. And I think it's such a good example of applying faith by our actions. Ruth applied action to her faith. I think so often we pray and don't put simple, simple steps of obedience with it or don't put ways God says he will bring provision in our life. We feel stuck in sin and want to pray and pray and pray that God would heal us. But God says, well, go confess your sins one to another that you'll be healed. A simple step that we don't want to take in faith along with what we do. Or I think of, we pray for fruit in the gospel. And the scripture says in Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And we skip the first verse that says go out. And we wonder why God's not doing something. Sometimes he puts simple action steps along with the commands and we need to apply faith with it. I've been out of work before. I think as a young man, I had a summer or a fall. I was out of work and, and was kind of low on my own funds and just had a lot to learn in terms of applying action with my faith. I was praying that God would provide a job, but also spending a lot of my days playing video games and watching TV and, and playing around. We can pray that God provides our needs, but I think finally I had to learn, I apply faith that God will provide my needs by putting out 10 job applications a day, and I apply action and work along with it. And if it's done along with prayer and belief that God will provide, he'll bring provision into our life. And I'm reminded, I put James 2.18 up here. It says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. And I will admit this verse is a little out of context, that really the context of James 2 is talking about do we get salvation just by believing God or do we work? Are we working our way to God if we work hard or do we believe and then we work? But what I think is good to call out here is that when we have faith in God, it comes out through our deeds. And she believed that God would provide. And then Ruth obeyed and her deeds matched up her belief. And I think that's a good example for us. The second thing I want to call out about Ruth is that she was known for her hard work. More generally, she was a woman of character. So we kind of talk about examples of character today. And again, like Naomi, she was a Proverbs 31 type of woman being lived out that we can look to as an example. And there's only two books in the Bible named after women, Esther and Ruth. And so it's significant. It's a really good example of faith as we look to Ruth that God prominently put her in the scripture for us to look at to see an example of a woman of faith, especially in that time period to have a whole book of the Bible dedicated and named after a woman is really significant that God included it in that way. And she may be a foreigner from the land of Moab, but she's made a declaration in chapter 1 
I know Greg didn't go into it in a ton of detail, but it's significant that she said, as I go back to Bethlehem, as we go back to this town, she was loyal to Naomi, and she said, your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. She had adopted a faith in God. And she lives out that faith as we look at her example. Of course, that proclamation she makes in chapter 1 is one of the hallmark examples of loyalty to God's people, to being with him. Really, it's somebody that went all in and said, I'm going to throw my life on the line. I'm going to be with God's people. I'm going to be loyal to God. She moved. She adopted them as her people. And she's put her faith in God. And I think as we look at her work, in chapter 2, her character starts to be on display here. And one of the things I think is worth emulating as a great example is her hard work. And so we're going to look at a few verses of Ruth verse Proverbs just to show how she's such an example of that. One thing is that she initiates and goes out to work, as we talked about. She says, let me go out into the fields and work. She's initiating and asking to go out. And Proverbs 31, 13 says, she selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She has eager hands to get out and work and bless others. This chapter could have read much differently that she was sitting around moping and Naomi came to her and said, daughter-in-law, let's get up. Let's get on our feet. Let's go work. We have to go. But it's not how it read. Ruth was initiating and said, let me go out and work. Let me go provide for me, for us, to provide for her mother-in-law as well. And so she was a good example of eager hands, of being eager to get out and work. I think another example here, Proverbs 31.14, says she is like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. And in verse 18 of Ruth 2, it says she carried the barley back into town. A small example, but she went out into the country to the fields to work, and they were living in the city of Bethlehem. And so in the evening, she carries her food from afar with us to provide for her family. Proverbs 31.15, she gets up while it is still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. And Ruth 2.7, it says, She asked me this morning if she could gather grain. And later it says that the foreman said she had come early in the morning to work with the laborers. She rose early to get up and work. I think it's a great example of that. I personally, I notice a difference of getting up early, getting to work, getting into the office early even. There's something that's different in my heart about getting up early and coming in early over slinking in at 9.15, 9.30. It might not matter. Eight hours is eight hours when you're at work, maybe. But in my heart, it's a lot different when I'm up and working early. I know many of you women are this way. I think of my wife Sarah at home, but she often, most of the time, is up with me when I get up to leave for that work. She's up with me as well, rising early to get in the Word, 
rising early to get school lessons prepared, to get meals going, to get chores done before the kids get up. I think her most productive hours are having a few hours before anyone else is awake. And I think really practically of this is getting up while it's still night and providing food for her family. And Ruth was a great example of that, heading out early. Proverbs 31.17 says she sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. It's noted that she works hard for the entire day. Verse 7 there says she's been hard at work ever since except for a few minutes rest over there in the shelter. The person that says this is the foreman of the harvesting crew. I take it as no small praise to say the foreman of a crew of people out working the field says she has been hard at work all day. It's probably someone qualified to judge that statement that wouldn't fluff that. I believe she was out there working hard all day. So she came early and she worked the entire day when the harvesters are out. And then it notes in verse 17, so Ruth gathered barley there all day and when she beat out the grain that evening it filled an entire basket. I'm not much of a farmer myself, I had to look a little into this, but when it talks about beating out the grain, you go gather the stalks in the day and it has the long stalks and it has the grain at the top. And then there's another process of taking that and beating it with a mallet that would get the grain off of the stalks and then you could use it for food. And so at the end of being out in the fields all day, she takes it aside and she's beating it out to make it usable food, enough to fill a basket and then take it home in the evening. So after that whole day of work, she was still out working. I'm pretty sure she'd be quite sore after that. I think it's pretty safe to call that vigorous work for the day for anybody, let alone this widow. What a great example she is of doing that work hard. Proverbs 31.31 says, Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Another translation says to ascribe honor to her based on her work. Now we don't work just for the praise of men. In John 12, 43, Jesus called out the religious leaders for loving the praise of men more than from him. We work as if we're working unto the Lord, is what was said to do in Colossians 3, 23. However, it says right here in the scriptures, a woman that works hard will be honored. Proverbs 31 says, she will have honor based on what her hands have done working based on her work, her character, the way she is. And Ruth gets praised in this chapter a number of times. The foreman saying that she'd been there early working hard among her laborers. Boaz knew of the work that she'd done. If I have the verse up there. But when she came into town, when Naomi and Ruth came in, in chapter 1, it talked about there being a little bit of a buzz and people were surprised to see them. And word spread of that, but it didn't just spread, Naomi returned to town. Word also spread of Ruth's faithfulness to Naomi, of her character. Boaz praises her faith 
In verse 13, he says, May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully. Boaz knew that she had faith in the Lord, that she was taking refuge in him. And now when she was out in the fields working, when she was in public, she also received praise. And it was taken note of that work she did. And I was reminded, looking at this, we all have some kind of reputation that precedes us. People in our office or our neighborhood or church kind of know who we are. I think she's a good example of her reputation preceding her in a good way, based on her faith and her work and her deeds. I want to ascribe towards that being the reputation when I come somewhere and not poor things. So finally, we're going to look at the last character in this story. A few examples to pull out of Boaz. He's mentioned in the first verse that says he's wealthy and influential in the land. Obviously, if he's a landowner and he has laborers and fields, he's of some wealth. We can kind of pull that out. We also know he's in the lineage of David. It's kind of a, I don't know, great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather. It's mentioned at the end of chapter 4 a lineage down from him, that he would be in that family line. But it's interesting, he's not someone of royalty otherwise. Normally you see people written of in the scriptures and they're there because they were kings or they had great military conquest. There was something really significant in their life. And you look at the life of Boaz and it's really encouraging and it's an example, but he's not in there because he's a significant person on his own. It's more because he's an example of character. And God uses the character of Boaz to bless Ruth. And specifically, we're going to look at a few examples of ways he was obeying the scripture, he was living it out, and it blessed Ruth. And so if we remember from the start, Ruth went out looking for a field to work in, We don't have any indication that she really knew where she was going to, or she knew Boaz or knew to go to his field. We have Leviticus 19.9 here, that when they would harvest the crops, they would not harvest the grain among the edge of their fields and leave some for the foreigners. So it appears as Ruth went out to find a field where someone was obeying this verse. And so how did she come to Boaz? She went into the country presumably walked by his field and saw extra grain on the side of it that she could go harvest. And so what drew them together was simply that he was obeying this verse, that he did this, and that's what drew her into his field, is that he was obeying God and leaving some behind for the foreign, for the foreigner and the poor. And we might stop to think, well, it said up front he was wealthy, An influential and a landowner, it might not really be a sacrifice for him. And you could argue that, maybe, maybe not. But I do know this, having money doesn't automatically make us generous. There's no line that goes up of like, the more money you get, you just give away 90% of it because you don't need it anymore. In fact, the reality is it tends to be the opposite. I think if you would have told me when I was like 15 and trying to scrape together some lawn mowing jobs what I'd make at 30, I would have thought, that's so much money. You could just give away most of it. I I got it covered. I can can cover going to a movie Friday night and and get some candy and putting the gas on the car with like 50 bucks a week. So 
You'd just become generous if you had all that. But the reality is our hearts get entwined to it and don't automatically become generous like that. But I do like Boaz's example here that he just obeyed a very simple command to leave the corner of his fields for the poor among him. And it's significant that he did that because our hearts, that was the income of their time was their crops. And so he gave of his money essentially to help the foreigners and poor among him. And I can look at this and think we have very simple commands God gives us. Like take a tenth of your income and give it back to me. And it can be hard to just obey like Boaz and say, I'm just going to do it because it's what the scriptures say. But we have such a great example of him just simply doing what the scriptures say and being generous with his crops. The second thing to pull out is that Boaz cared for widows. In Ruth 2, 11 and 12 here, it says, But I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother of your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. And I show this because it's clear that Boaz understood Ruth and Naomi's story. He understood that they were both widows He understood her faith and her commitment to Naomi. He'd taken notice. And I believe some of the care he shows is because he honors God in caring for widows. Exodus 22, just a few verses I think he was obeying from the law to the Jews. Exodus 22.22, it says, You must not exploit a widow or an orphan. If you exploit them in any way and they cry out to me, then I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will blaze against you, and I will kill you with the sword. Then your wives will be widows and your children fatherless. Deuteronomy 26.12, Every third year you must offer a special tithe of your crops. In this year of the special tithe, you must give your tithes to the Levites, foreigners, orphans, and widows so that they have enough to eat in your towns. And so God had a provision in his law to care for the widow. They were without protection. They were likely without means to provide for themselves in that era. And God commanded the Jews to care for the widows among them. And Boaz honored the scripture that he should care for the widows. He didn't exploit or take advantage of Ruth showing up in his field as he could have. He went the other direction. He went above and beyond to care for her. And he even cared for her in a way that cared for her mother-in-law, Naomi, as well, sending back extra food at the end of the day. Even though Naomi didn't come personally to work in her fields, which might have taken care of this verse, he went above and beyond caring for her. And even in the New Testament, we have commands to us to take care of the widows among us, don't we? James one twenty seven says, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Again, we don't want to take James 2 out of context. Our salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. And when we put our faith in him, We have a relationship with God that's assured. 
And much of James, again, is in that context of how that true faith in Jesus Christ shows up in our life and what it looks like when someone's a true believer, the works that are in their life. And I think this is one of those hallmarks. We can read this that if we have a faith in Jesus Christ, if we're really Christians, how can you tell? Genuine works in the sight of God is that we care for the orphans and the widows. In Acts 6, I didn't put it up here, but the first deacons were recognized. And in context, deacons came in the church. Why? To care for widows. It says there was widows among them, and there was ones of Jewish descent and of Greek descent, and they were being served unevenly. And so the deacons were recognized to go distribute the food and care for their evenly and make sure the widows among them were cared for. And I look at this example of Boaz and I look at what we have and I think God still wants us to care for the widows among us. I think that's a real call in our lives as we interact with them. We live in a neighborhood pretty close to here and we've been there for about nine years now. And we've had a chance over time to invite people over and try to throw little block parties and get to know our neighbors over the years. And some of them we've gotten to know, it's that the house immediately to the left and the right of us are both widows, which is kind of interesting. But we look at that as God's given us just an opportunity there to serve them. So when it snows, I try to get out and shovel their walks, just hit three houses all at once and take care of them as I can. Try to bring cookies by. We have the children visit them. We invite them over for holidays and birthdays and things going on. Not that they always take us up on it. I don't think they have a ton. But we try to make them welcome and really care for them. In short, we take very seriously that we should care for the widows among us. And I know there's some people that have done a lot more in their life, whether it's having them live in their home or moving or taking very seriously that call but as they are among us in our flock, or even not, I think God has that call in our life to make sure we're caring for the widows among us. Another thing to look at is that Boaz left extra wheat behind for Ruth. In verse 15 and 16, it says, Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather grain right among the sheaves without stopping her, and pull her out some of the heads of barley from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. And so the law said, go leave the edge of the field unharvested so the foreigners can come in and work the land and there's a little bit left over. And so Boaz was already doing that as a way of life. There was extra along the side that she came to his field to start working. But he goes a mile further to care for this foreign widow, doesn't he? He tells his men, pull the harvested barley off that you've harvested and throw it to her. So take the work you've done and just give it away to her. He's an example of just being generous and giving above and beyond. He also cares for her in food. Uh, verse 14, I didn't put it up there. He says, come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread in the sour wine. So she sat with his harvesters, and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat. She ate all she wanted and still had some left over. Again, the law said, don't exploit the widow or the, among you. 
but he draws her out and feeds her along with the workers in his fields and goes above and beyond and is so generous and gives her so much food she has left over to bring home at night to her mother-in-law to feed her as well with the leftover food from the lunch while she was in the fields. Boaz also offered protection for her. When he says, let her gather the grain without stopping her, there's also some protection there. He's telling the men, look after this widow behind you. Make sure she's getting some given to her. Give her protection in this field. In the context of that time, a woman being out alone, working in the fields, might not have been safe. But Boaz is caring for her by instructing his employees, his workers in the fields, to care for her and offer her protection for the day. And additionally, he invites her to come back through the entire harvest season, not just a day, but as long as they're out there working, come back and gather food, and you'll have protection. And Naomi takes notice of this, even at the end. I didn't put the verse up there, but she says, Oh, you would be at risk in other fields, but you'll be safe in the field of Boaz. She recognizes this protection that's being offered by Boaz if, as he goes above and beyond to care for them. And as I read about this, I just think, do we go above and beyond like that in our care for others? Sometimes I admit I do enough to feel good about myself, whether it's like $50 on the card that a ministry is asking for, or giving a family a meal, or a certain amount you feel good about giving someone on the street, or whatever it is, we can do just enough to feel like we've fulfilled the law, or we've done enough. But when I look at the response, when Ruth falls at his feet, it says, Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness? She asked. I am only a foreigner. It wasn't lost on her that he's going way above and beyond what the law said to do to show her generosity, to show her kindness, to show her protection. And then the astonishment that Naomi has again to say, who is this man that's offering you this protection, that's sending food? And she prays to the Lord to bless Boaz. It strikes me that these two women really saw that as above and beyond, and he went above and beyond in his giving. And Proverbs 11.25 says, The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. I think God does call us to go above and beyond. And when we see someone around us in need, maybe it's help with a task, maybe it's a financial need, let's consider the example of Boaz. And ask, would the Lord really want me to be generous like he was to go above and beyond in a way that blesses people, in a way that brings glory to God? One last verse to look at to close the time. Psalm 37.3 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. And as I look through the examples in this chapter, the Lord reminded me of this verse. It just strikes me that they were doing this. They were trusting in God. And they were doing good. They put their faith into deeds. I think being of high character in a way that honors God is important. 
And it's such a good example of it. This book is such a beautiful story in it. And as we finish Ruth over the next couple of weeks and look through the rest of this book, it becomes even more apparent that God's doing this. There's a prosper, there's a prospering, and that God is pouring out his blessing upon them in response to their faith, in response to their generosity and good deeds. We're going to see God restore Ruth and Naomi. All three of them had a trust in God, a trust that God had good for them. And it manifested in them obeying God in a way that showed that that was of more importance to obey him than hold on to their own will. Boaz honoring him with his crops in a way that shows that honoring God and obeying is of more importance in wealth than money. These actions of all three of them demonstrate faith, they demonstrate trust, and God turns around and he blesses them. And God brings blessing when we obey him, when we put our trust in him. And never underestimate the impact it has by simply trusting in God, putting our faith in God and living the life of obedience, a life of character. Another translation renders this verse, dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. We can grow and cultivate our faithfulness to God. And look how God weaves that into his story in our lives as God weaved in the story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your scripture. God, we thank you that you included the story of an example for us. God, I pray you would help us just be men and women of of character. God, men and women that obey your word. God, I pray you would help us care for the, the widows among us as we have opportunity. God, help us be generous. Help us care for the people around us. Help us give above and beyond and not just to the letter of the law or to appease our conscience, God, but help us be those that give in a way that honors you and and those that go above and beyond as you have to us. Just pray you'd bless our week. God, help us each honor you and and seek you this week. And thank you so much for this family of God and, and this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.